Hello and welcome to What The Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse who oddly enough has no kids, yet a huge passion for informing and empowering women on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me every week as we dive in to all things prenatal, postnatal, birth, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to What The Bump. Today I wanted to chat about GBS or Group B Strep. So let's just dive right in, talk about what GBS is, what the risk factors are for it, when you're going to be tested for it, and what it really has to do with pregnancy. So the information that I am pulling is coming from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecology, and also the Mayo Clinic and EBB or Evidence-Based Birth. So GBS Group B strep is a bacteria that can cause illness in some people. So GBS is a bacteria. It is not an SCD. It is not the same as strep throat. It is not a sexually transmitted illness, nothing like that. It is just a bacteria that can be in you. It lives in your intestines and it can migrate down into the rectum, the vagina, or the urinary tract. And around the world, about 10 to 30% of pregnant women are going to be carriers of GBS. Some people call it being colonized with GBS, but that does not mean you're infected. So that just means that you are carrying the GBS. And only some people who carry GBS will actually develop a GBS infection. Most people who have GBS have no symptoms of infections or even that they have GBS whatsoever until they get tested during pregnancy and then they find out that they have GBS. But GBS can cause urinary tract infections in some people and of course can cause infections in the newborn after delivery, which is why we screen for it during pregnancy and why it's very important to know during pregnancy if you are GBS positive or GBS negative. So I already mentioned that as far as like maternal signs and symptoms of GBS, most people, it goes unnoticed. The one thing that GBS is known to cause are urinary tract infections in the mother. And then as far as newborns for GBS, it is a major risk because if an infant gets infected with GBS, GBS can cause meningitis in the newborn, which is an infection in the lining of the brain and spinal cord, which is very serious. It can cause pneumonia in the newborn, which is obviously an infection in the lungs. And then it can cause sepsis in the newborn, which sepsis is basically an infection in the bloodstream that can spread to all your vital organs and can cause a lot of serious complications. And we're going to talk about how a newborn gets infected with GBS. And I'm not saying that at all, that every newborn born to a GBS positive mother gets an infection. It's actually very, very rare and very low occurrences. But if your newborn does get a GBS infection, those are just some of the complications that can come from it. When you are 35 to 37 weeks pregnant, they will actually test you for GPS. So they use a sterile swab and they insert it into the rectum and or vagina and they test it. They send it off and it takes about 48 hours to get the results back. They see if it grows basically a GBS positive culture and testing positive for GBS is I don't want to, it's, it's kind of temporary. It's on and off almost. It is not always 1000% accurate and you don't always stay either positive or negative, whatever you test for. So there's actually a study done. And like I said, people are tested about 35 to 37 weeks. So in this study, they tested people at 35 to 36 weeks out of the people who tested negative 91% of them were still negative when they were tested during labor, but the other 9% became GBS positive. So that means that they tested negative during that 35 to 36 weeks and then it became positive 
within the last couple of weeks of their pregnancy. So 9% of those tested, which is about one out of 10 of them, were actually considered missed GBS cases. What that is basically saying is that your GBS status, it, it can change. And the golden standard for testing for GBS is to test during labor. But like I said, that test can take about 48 hours to get back. And when you go into labor, you don't always have 48 hours until you deliver at birth. So it is standard to test you at 35 to 37 weeks. However, the gold gold standard is going to be testing you during labor, which is really hard to do, which is why that you are tested at that 35 to 37 week point. And then there's also a study done who the woman who screened positive for GBS during that 35 to 36 weeks, 84% of them were still GBS positive when they were tested during labor, but 66, I'm sorry, 16% of them who tested GBS positive actually became GBS negative by the time they went into labor. So that's actually pretty pretty big of a difference there. 84% were still positive and 16 of them actually became negative. So that would basically mean that those 16% of mothers who became negative would have still been treated with antibiotics, even though they were negative in labor, because we usually treat with antibiotics depending on what you were at that 35 to 37 week swab test. So I just mentioned antibiotics and that is what we use and what we do if you test positive for GBS at that 35 to 37 week swab that they do, we treat you with antibiotics. So we normally use ampicillin or penicillin and you get that infusion every four hours when you are in active labor. That infusion only takes like 15 to 30 minutes. So a lot of people, if they want to have a natural birth and they're GBS positive, they ask, well, does that mean I'm going to have to be hooked up to the IV pump the entire time? And that is not the case. We can hook you up, give you the antibiotic over 15 to 30 minutes and then unhook you. And then just every four hours, hook you back up to the IV for an infusion. And we want to get at least two doses of that antibiotic in you before you deliver. I'm going to talk about a couple studies where they kind of measured the amount of time that the mothers got antibiotics before delivery and the outcomes. But we do always, at least at my hospital, our standard is to try to get two of those infusions in before delivery. And then another thing that we do just to prevent a GBS from infecting the baby besides the antibiotics is when your water is ruptured and you are GBS positive, we take your temperature every hour. And that is just watching. That is us watching for any spike in your temperature, which could indicate choreo, um, which is an infection that I will also get into later. If your GBS status is unknown, we will also treat you with those antibiotics just prophylactically, just because that culture can take a little while to come back if to find out if you're GBS positive or negative. So we just go ahead and we treat you with antibiotics if we do, are not sure. Infant infection with GBS positive mothers usually occurs within the first seven days of life. Symptoms are usually noticed within the first 12 hours and most symptoms are actually detected within that first one hour of life in the newborn. So detection is pretty rapidly done for the most part and infection of the newborn is actually thought to have happened since, since we can detect it within that one hour, it's thought to have happened infection, not necessarily during birth, but actually before birth, after your water breaks, it's thought that most of the time the bacteria can travel up your birth canal into the amniotic fluid and infect the newborn that way, which is how after an hour after birth, we can already see some of those symptoms appearing in the newborn. Now the risk of newborn infant infection is about 0.25 cases per 1000 births. So that is tiny. And that is with antibiotics. So that is us treating women who are positive with antibiotics and us not treating women who are ne negative. 0.25 per 1,000 births, tiny amount. Now, if you do not have antibiotics, the risk of your infant developing GBS infection, so not being colonized with it, but having that actual life-threatening infection is gonna be about one to 2%. So that's a huge, huge difference. 0.25 to one to 2%. That is about an 80% increase. So antibiotics 
if you are GBS positive, will drop that GBS infant infection rate by about 80%. That's huge. I mean, antibiotics, I I want to be the one to be like, oh, GBS, no big deal. You don't need antibiotics. You know, just being the holistic, like try to do everything as natural. Let your body do what it needs to. But GBS is is widely supported. I mean, in the end, the gold standard for everything that I want to learn and know about is going to be evidence. Evidence is black and white. Evidence does not lie in these trials. And evidence is in support of treating GBS positive mothers with antibiotics. There was also another study done in Uruguay in 2015 and that followed 60 mothers who were term. So that means they carried their baby past that 37 weeks. They were term, there were 60 mothers and they came to the hospital in early labor. They swabbed each of these mothers before antibiotics were started, when they were in labor, and then they swabbed them again two to four hours after the penicillin or ampicillin was given. And they found that 72% of the participants who were GBS positive at that first swab before the antibiotics were started, only 40% of them were still positive two hours later. So they went from 72% to 47% after just two hours, which would be basically one infusion of antibiotics. And then only 12% were positive after that four hour mark of antibiotics. So that would probably be about after two doses of the antibiotics. They went from 72% being positive to 12% being positive. And that is why I said earlier that we like to try to get two doses in you since they're given four hours apart. At four hours, you'd probably have just about two doses in you and your GBS status, 72% positive to 12% positive. So that's a huge drop. So those antibiotics are really clearing out that infection. And the goal of that is to get that cleared out before you actually deliver your baby. So a lot of the reason why I almost want to and wish the evidence supported GBS positive mothers not needing antibiotics is because, of course, with antibiotics, you always worry about the microbiome. We universally know that antibiotics do kill bacteria, whether that be good or bad, they kind of kill both. And there was a couple studies done, actually eight of them, and seven out of those studies found that there were short-term effects on reducing the beneficial bacteria and increasing the bad bacteria in newborns who were treated with antibiotics due to having a GBS-positive mother. These studies also showed that at about four to eight weeks old, the infant's microbiome had either recovered or at least mostly recovered, which is good. So they weren't necessarily showing very extensive long-term risks. There were two other studies done in this meta-analysis and they showed that the effects of the antibiotics persisted up to three months or a year in some infants. So these studies all basically did conclude that IV antibiotics during labor do pose some short-term negative effects on your infant's microbiome. They also did one where, and honestly, I didn't write it down. I don't have the exact information on it, but they measured the antibiotic use, the microbiome in the babies at different points after birth and on breastfeeding and non-breastfeeding mothers. So they weren't necessarily looking to compare the effects on the microbiome of antibiotics versus non-antibiotics because they had already concluded that. They were more so looking, okay, now that we know that the antibiotics do harm the infant's microbiome, what does breastfeeding do to it? And they did find that breastfeeding did help lessen some of those negative side effects on the microbiome that the GBS positive mothers who received antibiotics had gotten. Going off of infant GBS infection risk, like I said, this is 0.25 out of 1,000 births, which is pretty standard in the U.S. for that to be the rate because we do treat all mothers who test positive with antibiotics every four hours during labor. And if you test negative, we do not treat you unless you start showing symptoms. But things that are going to increase the risk of your newborn getting the GBS infection, of course, you're going to have to be GBS positive during birth. A preterm birth, so a birth that is less than 37 weeks gestational age is going to increase your risk. Having a prolonged water rupture before delivery or a premature 
rupture of membranes. So prolonged would just be your water being broken for a significant amount of time. Every hour that you increase having your water broke in a GBS positive mother, you're just running the risk of that GBS being able to travel up the birth canal into the amniotic fluid and onto your baby. When your water is intact, that water sac kind of acts as a barrier between the GBS and the birth canal and your actual newborn and amniotic fluid. Now, the premature rupture of membranes, that is when your water breaks before you go into actual labor. So sometimes we'll have people come in and they'll be like, I think my water broke, but I'm not contracting at all. Sure enough, their water's been broken and they aren't contracting. They're not actually in labor. Their water just happened to prematurely rupture. And what we have to do then almost always is just induce labor because you can't walk around with your water broken forever because that can run the risk of, like I said, that GBS traveling up and just infection in general, traveling up into the amniotic fluid into the baby. Another thing that will increase your risk for GBS infection of your infant is going to be you having a fever during labor, which often leads into, I always say this wrong. I'm not going to lie to you guys. We call it choreo in the hospital. So I never say the full word, but it's choreo amnioitis, something like that. I call it choreo. So we're just going to go with that. So of course you running a fever in labor is a sign of choreo for us, especially your heart rate going up and the baby's heart rate going up. Choreo is when you get an infection of that amniotic fluid, whether it be mostly it's GBS, infects that fluid inside of your uterus and you start to show signs of infection such as a fever and high heart rate and so does your baby. Your baby will start to show signs of a high heart rate and after your baby's delivered, they will also show signs of infection and that is usually caused by the GBS, the prolonged rupture of membranes and anything invasive we do into your uterus. So another risk factor for GBS infant infection is going to be internal monitoring, which is going to be that invasive uterus monitoring. It's basically where we either use an FSE, which is a fetal scalp electrode, and it has a tiny, tiny little screw on the top, and we give about a quarter a turn. It just goes right into the skin on the top of the baby's head. It's a way more accurate and better way to monitor their heart rate if their heart rate is doing some funky things that we need to keep a closer eye on. And then there's an IUPC, which is an interuterine pressure catheter and that just sits inside of your uterus and it helps us get a very very clear picture on what your contractions are doing how strong they are and how close they are together and just how adequate they are to actually make change on your cervix those are all going to increase your risk for gbs infection of your newborn because if you have gbs and we are putting those monitors inside of you those monitors i mean we're basically just pushing the bacteria up there at that point like putting in iupc in through the birth canal up next to your baby literally is going to sometimes carry the risk of getting that bacteria up there as well. Two other things that are going to increase the risk of your newborn getting a GBS infection if you are a carrier is going to be you having a previous infant who had had a GBS infection and then it being your first birth. I'm not exactly sure why the first birth is a increased risk, but it is. So all you first time moms out there, sometimes we have a lot going against us. In some ways, not necessarily that increase your infant getting the GBS infection, but that increases your chances of being GBS positive is going to be having multiple sex partners, frequent and recent sex, tampon use, infrequent hand washing, and being less than 20 years old. Those have all been proven to increase the chance of you being GBS positive during your pregnancy. I know I mentioned earlier that GBS is not necessarily like white, white and black. Like it's not you're either positive or you're negative. It can change. It can change whether you're tested at that 35 to 37 weeks, which everybody will be, or it can change whether somehow they managed to get that um, golden standard swab right before delivery. But there are some ways that people have been known to cheat the GBS test because it can become positive or negative. And I've heard of a couple of these. Um, I actually have a couple that I could not really find much research on, but I know that people have tried. Some people will use garlic and it sounds so weird. And you're probably wondering, how do you use garlic to prevent GBS? But 
basically put garlic in their vagina. By temporarily using garlic, you can get a negative result on the test. So people think the morning of your GBS test, you put some garlic up there and you will test negative. And a lot of times it honestly does work. They did test some garlic, put it in a Petri dish with GBS positive cultures. And at about three hours time, it did kill the cultures. That might work for you, but the effects of the garlic killing the GBS, it wore off rather quickly. So basically what I'm telling you is if you are putting garlic in your vagina before your GBS test, you are cheating the system. You might get a negative test, which is what you want, but you're really going to cause more harm in the end because that's not a true negative. You're getting a negative. You're not going to be treated with antibiotics and labor, and you might actually have GBS. You're putting your infant at more harm by getting a false negative, basically. And then I've also heard this kind of goes along with the same reasoning behind the garlic. I've heard of people putting yogurt in their vaginas because of the positive bacteria and the um, all the bacteria, I guess, in yogurt can give, the, give you that negative test as well. And then I've heard of probiotics. So this one actually is kind of cool. Um, doesn't necessarily fall into the category that the garlic and the yogurt did with giving you that false negative. So there was a study done 110 women in, ta- in Taiwan who were GBS positive at that 35 to 37 week swab. They were, half of them were given two probiotic capsules to take every night. And then the other half of them were given two placebo capsules, basically with nothing in them to take every night. Now this treatment lasted about three weeks. So between them being tested at 35 and 37 weeks for those next three weeks, they either took the probiotics or the placebo capsule. And then their test was repeated when they returned to the hospital to give birth and labor. 43% of the GBS positive woman who took the probiotics actually ended up becoming GBS negative when they went into labor compared to about 14% who became GBS negative in the placebo group. So that's not that's not, I mean, that's less than half of them, of course, became GBS negative who were positive, but that's still a huge difference, 43% versus 14%. Taking probiotics does increase your chance of actually becoming GBS negative rather than just 14% who became GBS negative on their own. So probiotics did show some promise for GBS prevention during pregnancy and birth, and that not ne- that's not necessarily cheating the system. I mean, they took the probiotics, their body naturally kind of flushed out that GBS and replaced it with positive bacteria. So that is definitely something you can do throughout your pregnancy and it's probably going to be the number one thing to prevent you having positive GBS is going to be probiotics. Now, of course, talk with your physician. As always, I'm not giving you medical advice and see what they think about you taking probiotics to try to get a negative GBS culture. That is really everything I know and have to say about GBS. Um, I know I said this at the beginning, but anywhere from 10 to 30% of pregnant people are going to be GBS carriers. So if you test positive for GBS, do not think, oh my gosh, this is terrible. My infant's going to have a GBS infection. I have worked in labor and delivery and have so many pregnant moms. And I was surprised at the 10 to 30%. Honestly, I feel like it's more about 50% of the pregnant women I take care of are GBS positive. And I've never seen a newborn with a GBS infection. Never. So like I said, that 0.25% babies out of 1000 that is such a small percent and if you if you're gbs positive you get the antibiotics and that's basically the end of it our rates for an infant infection are so low because we are so proactive in treating this so get tested at that 35 to 37 weeks maybe taking the probiotics throughout your pregnancy if your doctor's okay with it and if you're positive just get the antibiotics every four hours no big deal and if you're negative then you don't have to worry about it at all Thank you guys for tuning in and listening to another podcast about group B strep. I hope that you learned a couple of things and I hope that you just feel more prepared going into your pregnancy, especially if you're a first time mom. I hope you feel more educated and informed and empowered to make decisions surrounding your pregnancy. That is what I am all about is just informing you about these things because you might have never heard of GBS before. And I find that a lot people 
don't didn't even know what GBS was when they go to get checked for GBS at that 35 to 37 week mark. So I hope that you just feel a little bit more prepared. That way, when your doctor talks to you about the test, you already kind of know what it is and you feel a little bit more comfortable with it. And I will see you next week to talk more about pregnancy, postpartum, and labor. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it and I will see you next week to talk more about the bump. And of course, I know you all probably know this, but I have to add it in. I make every effort to broadcast correct information through this podcast, but I am still learning so much. So I am in no way providing medical advice through this podcast, just sharing the things that myself and others have experienced or learned. Make sure to consult your physician before taking anything from this podcast and changing your health. This applies to any guests or contributors that I also have on this podcast. Thank you. And I will see you next week.